102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Nancy Colomer, an expert on second act careers. We will be talking about how to make the transition into a new career or purpose, especially if you are entering into a different phase or change in your life. Thank you for joining me today, Nancy. Delighted to be here. We were talking before the show that people are going through many transitions than ever before. Can you describe what is happening with people now living and working longer and what we should be considering in this scenario? Sure. As you just said, people are living longer, and that creates what I sometimes refer to as the 40-30 dilemma. And by that, I mean that we spend uh, 40 years or so working um, and then people still have another 30 years left of, of life after that. And so people are going through multiple transitions in their career. We see people switching careers seven, eight, nine times now, and I suspect that that will increase as time goes on. What about the change in the roles or opportunities that may evolve over time that you're seeing? Like, let's say it sounds like the, f- the first 40 years, um, or let's just say the 40s, we're in our 40s, and then and then in our 50s, 60s, and 70s. It sounds like we're probably doing something different each time then, not in the same field or same opportunity as before? Yeah, that's a great question. But I often point out to people that as much as the media, and I include myself in, in that group, tends to love the word, uh, you know, everyone talks about um, how you can uh, reinvent, that so much of what people do is not necessarily reinventing their careers, but they are repurposing and recycling as they make these transitions. So, in other words, it's not about completely reinventing yourself, but instead building on the best parts of your expertise and your skills and the things that you enjoy doing and figuring out new and different ways to use those skills and interests as you evolve and as the economy evolves. So what would you suggest, for example, let's say if I'm in marketing and I am no longer doing the role that I'm doing now in marketing. I'm just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, how would I then look at it and see how where I can take that? So with any career transition, there are a couple of steps that you need to work through. And the very first step is to do some self-reflection, to really think about what is it that I love to do, do well, and find most meaningful. And the other question that's really important to consider is 
what do I want out of my life at this point? Because that changes over time as well. There are going to be times when you will be putting um, income first, where the most important thing to you will be to make as much money as possible, and there will be other points in life where you're going to be more concerned about things like striking a better work-life balance. So you want to take a step back and hit the pause button and think about both what you want and what you can offer in the marketplace. And that's the first step. The second step is a period of exploration where you then begin to explore and look at possibilities that might be a good match for what you're thinking about doing. And as you begin to learn, chances are that you will start to see some gaps. Um, You may have to take some courses. You may want to go back and get a a certification. Uh, It may make sense to join some different industry associations so that you can begin to fill those gaps and make yourself more marketable. And then you want to, again, depending on how, how big the career transition is, whether it's a true transition or whether it's just a shift, uh, you may want to try to try things out in very small ways. You may take on a project to try to shift into is something new. As I mentioned before, you may need to take some classes. Um, and, and then once you've done all that, then you're finally ready to get involved with the job search. I find that doing the transition process, there's usually a lot of soul searching where people are asking themselves, what's my purpose? What's my passion? Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that really means something to me that's going to define what I'm going to be doing? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So you're absolutely right that there is a lot of talk about this whole idea of finding your passion or finding your purpose. And while I think that that is very important. I also think that it can be extremely intimidating because the fact of the matter is, is that while there are some people who are just born knowing what they love to do, most of us have a variety of things that we could enjoy doing. And oftentimes we don't discover those passions until we actually have an opportunity to work in a particular area and to begin to uh, really refine and perfect our skills in a particular uh, area of interest. And that's when the passion begins to develop. It comes out of, out of us working in that field. So um, I've written quite a lot about this whole idea of passion and reframing the way that we look at it. And one of the things that I suggest that people do, and I have an article on my blog about this, is rather than think about passion as being, you know, I've got to find this one thing in life that I am meant to do, take some pressure off yourself and instead think about passion as an acronym. So take the letters of the word. P stands for people. Who are the people that you enjoy being around? Who are the people that you enjoy serving? A stands for activities. What are the types of things that you enjoy doing? The two S's stand for skills and strengths. What are you really good at? What are you gifted at? What are you you the go-to person for? What do people naturally turn to you for help with? The I is interest. What are you you drawn to? What are you curious about? 
And then, because it can't be all about you, there has to be a, a match with the O is opportunities and the N is needs in the marketplace. And when you think about it that way, it opens up a, a world of possibilities that you might not have considered before. Interesting approach. What about the identity aspect where people are like asking themselves, who am I? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what am I now versus what I was before? Do you come across this and how do you address that aspect of the evolving identity? Yeah, I think this comes back to a lot of those questions that I was just referencing, that identity is partly who you are genetically, you know, what's your DNA. Um, It's also a factor of where you're at at a particular time in life, that there are times when we go through identity uh, shifts and transitions. So this all comes back to taking the time periodically to do some self-reflection, to think about some of the questions that I just mentioned before about, you know, what's, what's really important to you at this point in life? Uh, what are your strongest skills and expertise? What are you really gifted at? Um, when you start to think about all of those things, I think then it becomes much easier to begin to get in touch with your identity at that point in time. But recognize that that identity is subject to, to some shifts along the journey. But there must be people who have done a major switch, right? Let's say from going from being an accountant to something completely on the opposite mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. I guess my question is, what about people who are ready for a dramatic shift? How would you advise people who are like, I want to, the grass always seems greener on the other side. Mm-hmm. And you want to see what's like. So you want to go to the other side of something you've never done before. Right. So what I always say to people that are thinking about something completely different, you know, which, by the way, can be very exciting and can be incredibly invigorating for people, but when you, get, when you think about careers and, and transitions, the easiest type of transition to make is, let's say you are an accountant in the airline industry. The easiest type of transition to make is either you shift your role, um, so you're no longer an accountant, but you shift into marketing in the accounting industry, or you stay as an accountant, but you go to a different industry. Those are really the easiest type. Not that, not that it's easy to do that, mind you, but, but those, it's much easier to do it that way than to go from being the accountant in the airline industry to the uh, person who's opening up a, uh, a vineyard and you've had absolutely no experience before in running your own business and you know nothing, nothing about the wine industry. That's the most difficult type of transition to do. Now, if, first of all, you want to think about uh, why, why is it that you're looking to make this major change? And again, it's really important to, to spend time on self-reflection before making the leap. But assuming you have good reasons for doing it and assuming it's an idea that really excites you, then the next step is you want to 
really get out there and do your research and talk with people to make sure that your idea of what life is going to be like in this industry or in this new role really measures up to the reality. Because, you know, as you said, the grass can oftentimes appear greener on the other side, but it may not be. So you want to do your research, you want to talk with folks, and then if possible, you want to try it out in small ways to make sure that it's a good fit for you. Um, because it, it sometimes, sometimes it works out and sometimes it ends up being um, very, very challenging for folks. Mm. When you say in small ways, how much time do you think you should give yourself? I think it really depends on your situation, and that's a really challenging question for me to answer because it depends on a lot of variables. Um, But I think the more that you can test things out in small ways, you know, you might be able to take a week's vacation time um, and, you know, just go spend a week, let's say, using the example of someone who's interested in getting into uh, starting their own vineyard. Go out and spend a week out at a vineyard. Uh, There are opportunities to to volunteer during the harvest season. Go do that for a week. Talk with people. Find out what that's like. And that's an easy way of doing it without risking your job. Mm. Well, you have written about profiting from your hobbies and turning what you love into what you do, which sounds a lot like a lot of fun. Can you talk about this and how one would take a hobby or take something that you enjoy personally and turning it into a possible career? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can potentially profit from from your hobbies. And so you might be able to teach within your hobbies. So in other words, you're somebody, as an example, I had a client of mine who had been a music major in college, and then she ended up getting into HR, but really her passion was music, and she ended up opening up a, a music education program for preschool students in her area and loved doing it. So you can teach. You might be able to figure out a way to put together um, trips or tours around your passion. As an example, my husband and I, a few years ago, we took something called a cheese journey. My husband is a big, uh, he loves loves artisanal cheeses. And we went with a woman who had worked in the cheese industry, and she now organizes cheese journeys for people who love cheese to places like France and Italy and England. Um, And that's how she is making her living. Um, So that's, you know, that's how she's doing it. There are other people who sometimes they put together... um, they, they sell products related to their passions. I was talking with someone the other day who does posh dog accessories, you know, puts together these really cute uh, doggy coats and doggies, you know, these fancy doggy collars. That's how she's doing it. So there's a lot of different ways potentially that, that you can do it. Uh, the, the one caveat I always add to, to turning your hobby into your full-time income generator is you want to, um, again, if you can, try it out as a side gig or on a project basis before you go into it full steam ahead because sometimes what happens is people discover that if they spend uh, all their working hours on their hobby and their hobby suddenly becomes their business, 
they lose the joy of the hobby, and you don't want to have that happen. It's also a very big investment, too, I would imagine. It can be. Yes. It absolutely can be, yeah. We're going to take a quick break and thank our underwriters. Be back on Second Act Career with Nancy Cullimer. Support for KXSF comes from the Edwardian Ball, presented by Paradox Media and Vaudevere on Friday and Saturday, January 24th and 25th at San Francisco's Regency Ballroom. Now in its 20th year, this multi-night multimedia festival features art, live music, theater, fashion, ballroom dancing, DJ sets, a circus spectacular, and technologies old and new, all with an Edwardian twist. Doors each night open at 8 p.m. and close at 2 a.m. Tickets and more information about this quirky, vibrant, all-ages event can be found at www.edwardianball.com. Thank you for supporting KXSF 102.5 FM, San Francisco. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. I was talking with Nancy Collimer before the break about transitioning into a second act career. So with the hobbies, you had mentioned that you should take it slow, see if it's a viable venture, and from there, whether you can you want to do it full-time because it may take the joy out of it. Yes, definitely. Are there a lot of people who are able to successfully turn their hobby into a full-time career? Some do, uh, and some struggle. It's, you know, it's it's um, true of any type of business, and that's why I'm a big fan of saying to people, you know, I am all for following your passion, trying to figure out a way of monetizing your hobby, but it is important to do it in a a thoughtful and methodical manner because when you do it that way, you will really improve the chances for success. So when you've been doing the same thing for, let's say, 40 years or even 10 years, Mm -hmm. it can be uncomfortable to put yourself out there when you've been doing something for a long time that it's become muscle memory. How do you then put yourself out there? What would be the best way to start where you get your comfort level up? Yeah, and that's, it's a great question. And the fact of the matter is, is that change is hard. And change does involve uh, almost always some level of fear. You know, one of my favorite interviews for my book, Second Act Careers, was I spoke with a woman who had been a policewoman, and she ultimately became a stand-up comedian, believe it or not. How cool. Yeah. Um, and, but I, one, one of the big takeaways from our interview was she was so scared to get up on stage and really take this seriously. And she actually had, what happened was she, she took some classes uh, in improv and then she started doing, uh, you know, very short little gigs at, at some comedy clubs. And she was having fun with it. And she had a friend take a video of her, which the friend posted on YouTube. And really out of the blue, someone contacted her 
and said, I have this group, and it's Italian women comedians. She happened to be Italian. And we just lost one of our members, and you would be a great fit for it. Can you send me your bio and a headshot? And so I said to her, that, wow, that's incredible. You know, what, what great serendipity. What did you do? And she said, believe it or not, I did nothing. I was so panicked that this meant that it could actually become something real. I, I froze, and I didn't do anything, and I didn't respond to the request. And it took her, it, what happened was she didn't do anything with it, but, but she kept practicing her act just on the side with friends, you know, in a very low-key way. And three months later, that same person who had reached out to her sent her another request. And at that point, she had enough confidence that she responded. And it did turn into a paying gig. And I include that story in my book to say, you know, this is an example of a woman who, by all accounts, is a very brave woman. In fact, she, as you can imagine, it was a very funny interview. And she said to me, I couldn't believe how scared I was. After all, I was used to arresting thugs and prostitutes on the streets of Staten Island. But the idea of doing this scared the living daylights out of me. What a great story. Talk about fulfilling your dream. Right. But <clears throat> what she, you know, what her story illustrates it's the way that you move past the fear. And by the way, as I, a therapist once said to me, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. And the way that you move past the fear is you begin to do things in small ways, as she did, taking classes, getting out there, getting on stage, you know, trying out her, her little routines in front of friends. And the more she did it, the more confidence she gained, she gained, the calmer she became about it. She began to see other comedians. She started to see that actually she was quite good at what she did. And it gave her confidence that she really could do this. So that brings up an interesting question in that age can be set back. What's your take on those who are feeling like, well, I don't know whether I'm going to be taken seriously or have the same credibility due to age? See, is age discrimination real? Yes. But here's the thing. You can't let it stop you. So whenever we talk about age discrimination, there are, there are a couple of important things to think about. The first is that if you are in an industry where age discrimination is really, really a thing, you do need to give a serious thought to, to shifting your industry. So in other words, there are certain industries that we just know are more youth-centric. You know, sports marketing, let's use that as an example. People tend to be much younger. The entertainment field, in, in many roles, people tend to be much younger. It's tougher to make a go of it in those fields. So you do have to look at that and, and make an honest assessment as to how realistic is it that you will be able to continue or to transition into that field as an older worker. However, that said, there are many situations where having age and maturity and experience and perspective can be a tremendous, tremendous benefit. And so 
you also want to do a self-assessment to say, what has my experience, both my work experience and my life experience, given me in terms of stability and perspective and knowledge that makes me a much stronger candidate? And then you want to work on being really persuasive when you go into an interview so that you're able to communicate that a bit more effectively. So it's about reframing your authority. I think it's about recognizing what you can bring to the party, figuring out how that can be useful to a potential employer, and then communicating that in a way that's really effective. Um, And then on top of that, I would say that, you know, things like uh, the way that, that you come across in an interview, how's your energy level, have you kept up on technology, those types of things are very important as well. What about networking? Well, networking is critically important. And let's say you've been in the same field forever, you want to mm-hmm. make a change, and you haven't networked in a while. Right. Is there a, a more effective approach? That one can yeah, take. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously there's been, um, <laughs> you could probably fill up a library with the number of books that have been written on, on networking. Um, but a couple of quick tips that hopefully your listeners can take away. The first is if you are, if you are thinking about transitioning into a new field, uh, use LinkedIn, use the connections that you have to network with other people in the field that you would like to get into. I mean, there is a there are industry groups for every industry imaginable on LinkedIn that you can begin to get involved in. There are also, speaking of industry groups, there are industry associations for every type of industry you can imagine. And that can be a really effective way to quickly and efficiently build up a new network in a field that you want to go into. So let me share another story. Another person who I interviewed for my book was somebody who had worked in the financial world. And I did the interviews for my book in 2010, so a lot of the people that I interviewed were people who had just gone through the traumas of 2008 when the economy really took, took a serious downturn. And she had been someone in the financial world. She had lost her job. She wasn't quite sure what to do next. One of the things that she had done a lot of in her personal life was um, she had relocated numerous times. So she was very good at packing up and resettling in new places. And a friend of hers sent her an article that had been in the newspaper about becoming a senior move manager. And what senior move managers do is they help people downsize from their forever homes into uh, typically an assisted living or a smaller apartment, and it's a, it's a growing field. So what she did was, after reading about this and realizing that this might be a very good fit for her, is she actually got on a plane and she went to the annual meeting of the Senior Move Managers Association, and she spent a week there. And while she was there, she met lots of people. She had an opportunity to take workshops and learn Um, And she, in the course of a week, was able to establish a whole new network. So that can be a really smart way to quickly hit the ground running. Yeah, that sounds like a very creative way to really meet new people in a different area. So I also assume that 
it's not going to be easy to build a new support system during this transition. What would you recommend doing in in terms of feeling like you have a community who can support you and give you ideas and help move you forward? Yeah. Well, depending on what you're doing. I mean, if you're someone who is looking to start your own business, there are lots of entrepreneurial communities out there. Uh, in fact, I mentioned to you today, I was just at a really interesting meeting, but that was was a group I lit in my hometown. We have a group of local entrepreneurs who get together for networking and for learning and just to support each other in our own businesses. And uh, this town is not unusual. Lots of towns have that. And you can begin to research things like that by taking a look at great resources, the Small Business Association. You can look that up online. And also run by the Small Business Association is the organization SCORE, which has all sorts of workshops and free mentoring for people starting their own businesses. So that can be a good way to get some support. If you're someone who's involved in a job search there, again, there tend to be a lot of uh, support groups within any major city and within lots of towns. Church groups run them, WISE run them, run them, um, and so that can be a great way to get some help during your transition as well. What about using technology? And technology is great. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to networking when you're in a time of transition, I think uh, technology is wonderful. I, I also think it's possible. You should try to find people in person and people locally who can help you because I think you do get a different um, dynamic when you meet with people in person. But technology can be incredible. And so sites like LinkedIn um, have all sorts of, of features that really can help make the transition much easier. Uh, even Twitter can be used effectively. Instagram and any of the social media sites can be a great way to connect with people. But, you know, the important thing is it is far better to build that network when you are working because then the, the worst time to build a network is when you are in a time of transition because then you're much more vulnerable. And it's harder to reach out to people. So for anyone who's listening, who is currently employed, who says, I don't have time to, you know, for things like LinkedIn, I would strongly advise you to make the time. It doesn't take much. You can take 15 minutes a week. And the, the best offense is really to have put some good preventative measures into place, do a little bit each week, and that way if you find yourself in a period of transition, you've got that net there to assist you. That is great advice. One could also go to someone like you, right, a career coach, if one doesn't yeah, have the right support. I mean, these days I do uh, primarily retirement coaching. I help people who are planning for retirement, the non-financial side of, of retirement, who want to build uh, fulfilling and really meaningful retirements. But certainly there are career coaches out there. And there are also um, there are career coaching services that are offered through uh, community groups, government groups, sometimes through alumni services, uh, which I should mention that uh, if you're a college graduate, 
take a look at your college alumni offerings. Some of them have really robust um, offerings for their alumni in terms of career services, and they can be incredibly helpful. Even at different stages, I would imagine. Yes, yeah. I mean, people tend to think of uh, college career services as only being for recent graduates, but that's not true. There are entire offices that are devoted to alumni career services. And I, uh, a couple of years ago, I spoke at the conference for alumni career service professionals, and it, it was really incredible some of the services that they're offering. And, and when you mentioned technology, a lot of them offer those services through uh, online workshops and they run webinars. And if there's any charge, it's minimal. And many times the services are free. Going back to retirement, you are now working with people who are either entering into retirement or considering semi-retirement. How do you help them and what kind of advice would you give them at this point, because like you were saying, you still have another 30 years to go after working 40 years, and you still want to do something meaningful. Mm-hmm. How yeah, would you well, plan I, I walk them through the same steps uh, that we, I help them first of all figure out, uh, they go through that self-reflection or that assessment process to really figure out what's important to them at this point in time. One of, the th- one of the exercises I have them do is I have them put together, we've all heard of a bucket list. I have my clients put together a checklist, list, which means what is it that you no longer want to have to do? Are you tired of the long commute? Are you tired of dealing with difficult people at work? All of that goes on your checklist, list, and that helps to inform the things that you do want to do. So I help walk them through a variety of exercises to really get clear about who they are today, what's important to them, what they do well, uh, figure out the, the pieces that they want to build on. One of the interesting things with working with people at this stage in life is, you know, my typical client is usually a, a successful executive. So there are lots of things that they can do, but the question becomes what, what are you good at that you want to continue to do. The fact that you were in charge of budgets for 20 years doesn't mean that you have to continue with that. And sometimes what people want to build on is, is a very small piece of what their official responsibilities were. I work with somebody who really enjoyed organizing the company picnics and the, the employee recognition days, um, and they ended up getting involved in the world of event planning. So we, we do that assessment, and then we um, talk about the other parts of their life, too, because once you're into these so-called retirement years, that should be the time when you finally get to do those things that you've really wanted to do, that you've put on the back burner. And also a lot of people want to use that time, too, to deepen their relationships with their their family members and grandchildren. They want to finally do that travel that they've thought about doing for a long time. Many times people are looking to really invest more time and energy and getting in shape and eating healthy foods. And so we look at everything very holistically, and I help people uh, think about those different arenas in their life and, and where they want to put their energy. And then another big category for people at this point in life is they want to give back. 
Um, I, I can't tell you how often I hear people say, you know, I was very lucky, I've, I've made money, and now it's my time to use the wisdom that I've and experiences that I've been able to accumulate over all these years to, to give back and do some good good in the world. Wouldn't teaching be a great profession, though, for those who have had so much life experience that they can share and pass on? are interested in teaching. And again, teaching, you know, one, one of the wonderful things about the economy today is um, if we're talking about teaching, using that as an example, is there's lots of different ways that you can do that. Sure, you could go back and, and teach in a high school, but you might also work as a, an adjunct professor at a college and maybe just teach one or two classes. You can put together workshops. You can put together your own training programs online and um, have a, a digital class online. You can, uh, you know, so there's, there's just lots of different, different ways that you can do that. I, have, I was speaking with a couple the other day. They're both attorneys, and they have put together a, an English for non-native speakers that they are teaching to attorneys in other countries. And they don't get paid a whole lot to do that in comparison to what they used to get paid. But what's great is they're able to go to these countries. They're talking right now with uh, China and uh, I think with Argentina. And they can go over there and, and stay for a couple of weeks. They're they have the opportunity to experience the country, and, and you know people are happy to show them around. Uh, their expenses are paid, and it's a great way to combine travel and, and uh, earning a little money and using their skills in a new way. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. You had mentioned that people are planning their retirement earlier now. Why is this? Can you talk about it? Uh, well, I don't know that they're necessarily planning their retirement earlier. I think a lot of people are um, becoming aware that it, there's two factors in play here. One is, as we mentioned uh, earlier on, that people are just living a whole lot longer. So people are starting to say, wow, you know, even after I leave my full-time career, I've got another 30 years in front of me. I, I, I should probably start to think about what the possibilities are for that time period. So that's part of it. And, and the other piece of this is, of course, the whole issue of uh, people um, not having saved enough for retirement. So that's the other component is some people are looking at their retirement savings and they're saying, wow, I don't have enough to get me through the next 30 years. I really need to figure out some way to generate income for the next 10 years or so. Um, so a lot of factors are, are coming into play, but I think people just in general um, are more aware of the fact that they are living longer. And as I said, it's, it can be really exciting. I mean, it, it's really a wonderful opportunity for people to do some of the things that they've always wanted to do, but they weren't able to do when they were so busy trying to pay the mortgage and pay for the kids' college education. Um, so I often say it's not just a second act, it's a second chance. It sounds like we do have to plan for, let's say, a longer career span or cycle now than we did before. Yes. And so there's, I don't know whether a break is the right way to describe it, but somewhere there's a mid-transition, right? And then it's almost like 
there's another career after that that has to tie better to where you are at that point. And hopefully it's still going to generate income that's going to be meaningful. Yeah, and one one of the things to bear in mind, too, is that sometimes um, what happens is that, uh, let's say you're, you're in a situation where you do need to generate some additional income, but you might be at a point in life where what you need to generate is significantly less than what you needed when you were 40. So hopefully, you know, the mortgage is paid off, or at least you're near the end of the mortgage. Hopefully you're, the, the kids are, have moved out of the house at that point. So that opens up a lot of possibilities for people that they could not consider when they were in a situation where they had to be maximizing their incomes. And they had kids who were going to college and so on. Yeah, yeah. So then the focus then can be on a job that's less pressured, more interesting, and hopefully it generates enough to cover what you need at that point. Yeah, and it, one of the things I, I'd like to point out to people is it is far better to find something at that point in life that you really enjoy doing, even if it does pay less, because what that means is that you are more likely to want to stick with it longer. And if you, so in other words, rather than find, you know, settling for a job you absolutely can't stand, um, at age 60, by the time you're 62, you're just going to be crazed and saying, I can't stand this anymore, I've got to quit. You're far better served to find something that you really love doing. Again, may not pay as much, maybe the hours are less, but if you really enjoy it, you could potentially do it for another 10 years. And financially, sometimes that ends up being a much better deal. And it's going to be more rewarding. and. Yeah intellectually stimulating absolutely okay time for a short break we'll return more on second and third act careers support for kxsf comes from the strand salon located at 409 locust street in san francisco's laurel heights neighborhood the strand is a full service hair salon specializing in aveda color and products staffed by independent stylists who believe that independent radio is key to keeping san francisco culture alive and thriving Visit their website at thestrandsalon.com. Thanks for supporting San Francisco Community Radio. This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. Nancy Colomer and I were talking about third act career before the break. So going back to second act career, I used to help moms, stay-at-home moms, return back to work, correct? That's correct. Um, And I saw a website that focuses on helping stay-at-home moms learn to code and take advantage of the current booming market for it. What would you recommend? There are a lot of moms who have taken time off. You know, there's this talk about how once you get off, you can't get back on. What would be your recommendations for getting back on track? So there are a couple of things that I always recommend to people. Uh, again, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but the very first step is you got to, you know, do, take, do the self-assessment, figure out your strengths, figure out your interests, 
and then take a look at, okay, what are the gaps? What are, because inevitably, if you've been home for a while, there are going to be some gaps that need to be addressed. You might need to take some courses in the latest technology. In your field, there may have been some changes, and it might make sense to go to a conference so you can get up to date on those. So doing things like talking, and it's critically important to talk with people that are in the types of jobs that you would like to move into and say, what do I need to do to make myself more marketable? Because they are the ones who will really be able to tell you specifically what needs to be done. So you want to do that. It can be incredibly helpful to do some temp work or some project work or some side gigs, whatever you want to call it, to help beef up your resume. Taking a, a few courses is also a great thing to do. Um, and there are also there are some uh, good books out there that address this population as well that can be very helpful. One that I really like is one that's called Back on the Career Track, and it's by a woman named Carol Fishman Cohen. And in there, she has lots of good advice about things like the resume and the interview. One thing I, I when I was uh, specializing in this field that I would always emphasize, though, to moms is when you go into your interviews and people ask about your time at home, never apologize for the time that you spent at home. You want to speak about it in very positive terms. You say, I was, uh, I really enjoyed the time that I had home with my family. It gave me the opportunity to refresh, and then you immediately turn it to what have you been doing to get yourself ready to be market ready. So, and during that time, I was able to take classes. I volunteered as the head of the gala committee, which gave me incredible skills in fundraising and marketing. I recently went to the conference and I learned XYZ. So be positive about it, be upbeat, don't apologize for that decision. Do you think there are other ways of reframing or are there options out there that we may not consider, but we are, is there somewhere of finding those that we would consider, but we're just not aware of them? Well, that gets back to what I was uh, talking about before, about first you need to, you know, take a hard look at yourself and then get out there and start having conversations with people and do things like if you're interested in moving into a new industry, you know, sign up for the industry e-newsletter so that you can get up to speed with it. And the more you talk with people and the more active you become, you know, take on a project, get out there talk with people, the more you're going to learn about possibilities that you might not have considered before. That's when serendipity happens. Um, It really is people getting out there and um, you're not going to experience or see new possibilities just sitting in your house staring at your computer. It's not going to happen. So just put yourself out there as much as you can. Even yeah, if you in, don't in know. a thoughtful way. It's, you know, you can't expect to meet with people and say sometimes people are like, okay, well, I'll just call up someone and go and hand them my resume and expect them to solve the problem for me. No, 
you need to you need to do your homework up front and then go and meet with people, respect their time, ask thoughtful, well-researched questions, and that way you make it really easy for them to help you. It looks like there's more flexible options now for working moms, would you say? I think there's more flexible options for everyone, not just working moms. And one of the things that has really evolved since I concentrated on helping moms was the fact that working from home has become so much more commonplace. Um, I can remember when I started my business, you know, 20 plus years ago, and I was a mom working from home, I tried to hide that because it was considered somewhat unprofessional. Now, I, I don't even think twice about saying to somebody that I work from home. could find a job where you could work from home. Yeah, and there's, uh, you know, all sorts of, of uh, online services. FlexJobs is, is a job board that specializes in flexible and work-from-home jobs. I, another site that I really like is a site called SideHustleHusl.com where they, uh, it's a great site because they evaluate a lot of these side gig platforms that are out there, and that they really uh, do a great job of saying, hey, this is a good company to apply with, this is uh, a place where you're probably not going to earn very much, it's, it's really, it's a terrific site. So there's lots of resources out there to help people work, figure out a way to work from home. Do you recommend the personality profiles that are out there or are there other tools that you think works better during this transitional stage? I think it is one piece of the puzzle. So by that I mean that if uh, it's very important to understand that you can't take one of these assessments or personality profiles and expect it to give you answers. It will give you insights about a particular um, aspect of who you are. So using, for instance, Myers-Briggs is a very MBTI. That's one of the better known assessment tests that are out there. That is a, a what they call a personality assessment. Um, and that is, it's a great tool. But that only tells you one piece of the puzzle. There's, there's lots of other factors that you need to take into consideration. So I think they can be helpful, but I think it's very important not to be overly reliant on them. With the top three strategies, what would you say, Nancy? How should one start making a transition to something completely different? Two, if you want to make a transition, again, and like I said, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'll say it again. You absolutely have to hit the pause button and take a look at yourself and answer the question of what do I love to do, what do I do well, and what do I find most meaningful. Second phase is then, second step is to get out there and begin the process of talking with people, doing your research, put the Internet to use, tap into industry associations, take a look at colleges and community colleges and certification programs to see what's out there, then begin. Third step is to begin to test things out in small ways by taking courses, volunteering, taking on project work, um, and, and that's how you can begin to see if this new idea, this new industry, this new role 
is really a good fit for you. And that brings you then into either doing a job search or going out there on your own and, and hanging out a, a shingle. So what I would say is it's important to find some sort, as you walk work through these steps, it's important to find support, uh, whether that is a career coach, an online group, a support buddy, find some level of support to help you through these transitions because they can be very, very challenging for people. Thank you for laying it out clearly for us. You're most welcome. And thank you for joining me on Spark today, Nancy.